Hi everyone, this is Joshua Hoffman and welcome to another episode of the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast, where we deconstruct the why and how agency owners found their success and discuss a few things they learned along the way. Today, I have Eric Elkins, the CEO and Chief Strategist at Wide Focus, a real-time social media agency that manages strategic B2B and B2C social media outreach, paid social ad campaigns, and real-time monitoring and engagement for nonprofits, consumer brands, and global corporations. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Good to be here, Josh. So I want to start off with something other than your marketing agency, and you were actually the founder and publisher uh, for a company called Bias Media, and then you were also a former teacher and scientist in your past life. Um, so can you actually just open up and tell us one more about each of them? Um, and maybe what did you actually learn from those positions that you ended up bringing to the agency? And I can. Okay. Um, so starting with, so I was a scientist for a very, very short time out of college. My bachelor's was in biochemistry and molecular biology, ended up in a lab is what I thought I wanted to do. I was not good at it. I was not happy. Um, and I learned very quickly from that to focus more on things that I'm good at. And, you know, you can always learn and get better at stuff. But in a job where I was just outmatched out, you know, like just not good at any of the, even the most basic pieces of it. Um, I think the biggest lesson was get out and do something closer to what you're, you know, play to your strengths for sure. Um, after that, uh I was a corporate trainer and that was really fun. And that's kind of how I learned that I was good at teaching and educating, which moved me into the education realm where I got my master's and then was an elementary school teacher. And I wrote a book for teachers. And that was something where, I mean, the biggest lesson is about communication and learning and coaching. And we'll come back to it because you and I have talked about this in the past. It took me a while as a business owner to realize that I should be deploying what I learned as a teacher, as a, as a, a boss. Um, but I learned a lot about like really listening and teaching to um, people's, especially students, communication styles and to their specific needs. And then, uh, yeah, I was at the Denver Post for years. And we, um, when I was there, I was given the opportunity to found a, a new media company called Bias Media. It was owned half by Scripps Howard and half by Media News Group. It was a social network before there were social networks, which still breaks my heart. I got to say, it's like we did something so amazing and so creative and it was just a few months ahead of its time and probably with different leadership in the kind of funding side of things, it might have really gone somewhere. Um, but it was amazing. And what I took from that is the idea of user generated content to really um, drive up engagement and help people feel like they're part of the conversation. It taught me a lot about just new media practices and really led to the the next role in my life, which was at a PR agency and then a startup where I was really focused on Zing. Still, we called it user generated content and slowly became social media, but um, just learning that this idea of content and conversation was really changing where Content could be shared much faster. It wasn't stuck in the physical realm and conversations were happening around that content in ways that had never happened before. I realized that there was a big opportunity there, both as a creator myself and as someone who could help other companies learn how to do that. Uh, that was awesome. So how did you go from all of that to eventually starting your own agency? 
Uh, so I was at VP of marketing at a startup, another one of those mobile payments, but with text messages. So another startup that was, I don't know, a few months, a year ahead of its time. If there had been smartphones, it would have blown up. It was just a little unwieldy. Um, I was focused on the consumer side of things um, and eventually ended up leaving um, due to just not really seeing eye to eye with the CEO. And uh, it was August of 2007 and I live in Colorado and August is one of the best. I mean, every month in Colorado is pretty beautiful, but August is stellar, kind of that Goldilocks zone. Um, and I was working in, I would, I would take my laptop and walk over to this coffee shop, sit on the patio, apply for jobs and kind of hang there. Um, I got, I had colleagues and friends who would send me little projects to do and some big projects as well, some copywriting, putting together a, a stakeholder magazine and pulling a designer, doing some little bit of pieces of consulting here and there. And the more I did that, the less I really wanted to work for anybody else anymore. And I realized that maybe I was just not employable at the time. Um, and maybe it was time for me to try something on my own. So I started, uh, I created a website on TypePad. I called it Wide Focus and Idea Shop. And started just doing some small marketing projects, helping a friend uh, who owned a couple of chiropractic um, spots. That was your first customer? Yeah, that was my first customer for that, right? That we talked about that. Yeah. Um, doing creating a brochure, creating business cards, identity materials. I did the copywriting. I had a go I still have a go-to designer whom I love who did all the heavy lifting on the design side, really made a difference for him. Word kind of got out that I was doing that stuff. Um and stopped applying for jobs and just started doing uh, you know, this kind of freelance work. I had this, you know, I had business cards. Um, and was getting, you know, the word out that I was doing that stuff. And basically what happened was a f maybe a month or so into that, the um, owner of the digital agency who had helped us with our websites at the startup called me and said, hey, we're giving a big pitch for a big potential client next week. And they've asked for social media as part of our pitch. None of us know anything about that. You're the one I know who knows it best. Will you come in and pitch that with us? And then we'll farm that work out to you if we get the client. So I did. They got the client. Um, everybody was really happy. And one of the big reasons they got it was because social media was something that they could offer. Um, and so I started, they were based in Boulder. I started going to Boulder once or twice a week to help them with their other clients who needed social media help. They'd say, Midas Muffler is looking for help in this. Uh, Horizon Organics needs to understand how to use user-generated content. And it was a really nice way to kind of start working into that service offering. And the sort of thing that changed it all was one time, one day when I was in Boulder, I had coffee with the VC who had funded the startup um, where I had been working just to kind of debrief and talk about what went sideways and what my recommendations were for the marketing side of things as they moved on. And <clears throat> at the end, he said, hey, pull up your website for a second. I want to show you something. So I pull up my website, which like I said, TypePad, blogger platform. It said, um, it, and he said, look how you have marketing consulting, you have PR, you have copywriting, you have sponsorship packaging, you have um, all this stuff and then social media at the bottom. And he said, let's get rid of all that stuff and put social media at the top and you'll be busier than you can imagine. And I was like, oh, you know, this guy's pretty smart. I'll give it a shot. So I did exactly what he said. Uh, and the next networking event I went to when someone said, what do you do? Instead of saying marketing, I said social media. And she said, I need your card. 
and it all just kind of blossomed from there. You know, I, I think it's a lot like um, they say when you go into a restaurant and it's almost the bigger the menu, usually the lower quality food. Um, so the analogy that I'm trying to make here is, you know, when you're trying to pretend you're everything, a lot of times either you're missing the mark when you're saying it to someone else or you're just not focusing on one of them enough. Um, and, and I think you kind of identified that let's have your specialty, let's really advertise that. And then I guess what you're saying is that's when business started to really come in. Yeah, thank goodness someone smarter than me gave me the advice and I was smart enough to take it. Um, and I've given that advice multiple times when people are like, well, we want to do this, this and this. And I say, could you do one of those and really be best in class at what you do? Um, one of the great did you that did, did you did you stay specifically in that in that vertical? Did you eventually add other services beyond that? No, we still focus solely on social. I mean, we do some influencer outreach, which is related. We do. Um, uh, thought leadership development for executives, but that's through LinkedIn and it's part part of our more organic and paid approach. So we've, I would say we've evolved in what we offer under that social media umbrella, but it's still just social media. And what, what's great about that, Josh, is digital agencies will call us and have us work with their clients because they don't have a strong social media practice in-house. We can farm out, or I shouldn't say farm out because I don't like white labeling, but we can make referrals and get the best SEO companies, the best digital strategy companies or PR agencies to work with our clients because stay in our lane. And it's really nice because that gives us um, a, a nice pipeline because there are digital agencies out there who love working with us and will bring us in when their clients need our help, but also allows us to provide our clients the best possible service. We're really good at what we do. And then we can say, here are other companies we trust who are good at what they do. Any lessons learned, whether good or bad, with working with partners, um, you know, in terms of not doing it yourself in-house and also like, yes, I'm glad that we, we reached out to someone. So any kind of lessons in there? Um, a few. We white labeled early on and um, it got, there are a few things that could go sideways. One was if we weren't communicating directly with the client, sometimes it could be really hard to get what we needed and to be successful. Also, we didn't get the credit when things went well. Um, the other thing was it became sticky when someone looked up, looked me up on LinkedIn and realized that I wasn't actually part of that company. So occasionally we'd get like, I'd get an email address for that agency and work through there. But eventually they'd say, hey, on LinkedIn, it doesn't even say you work for this company. So um, just we, I always want to be authentic what I do. That's why we don't white label. We've had companies come to us and say, hey, do you want to white label our SEO services or our content writing? And I'm like, no, I'd rather just introduce you if it makes sense than, you know, try to be what we're not. Um, and I think th what's gone well with that is, like I said, we get a lot more business from other agencies who don't have a strong social media practice. Um, we have a really good reputation for being good at that one thing. And we're also, yeah, we're not stretching ourselves into things that feel uncomfortable or aren't in our wheelhouse, which means that we're constantly able to hone what we do best <laughs> totally makes sense um taking a just i just wanted to go back for an, another second um about you know early customers and you know i think that and i've said this before but i think that the first customer is obviously very important it, it makes you say that like oh my god this might be a thing but i think it's really either that second customer or the the first big customer that really kind of gets things going just wanted to see if you have a story around you know again either a big customer or a second customer 
Yeah, uh, our first big customer was Sears Holdings. Um, and they would fly me out to Chicago every so often to talk to their marketing director about how to use social media and user-generated content. Uh, we worked with them for about six months, I think. Um, their payments came through India, and it took a long time. Like We didn't get paid for three or four months. It was a big check that came, but I maxed out my credit cards in that amount of time trying to uh, just keep things going. It was really difficult. Um, Worth I, it? What's that? Worth it? Well, I mean, we made a lot of money in the end, uh, but I also learned some lessons, which were probably more worth it. Yeah, the money was great. I think the bigger lesson for me was I overwhelmed their marketing director very quickly with the things that she should be doing to be successful in social. And um, eventually, I mean, they were just too, probably still too kind of stuck in their ways. Um, her boss eventually called me and said, hey, we really like working with you, but it's more than we can take on right now. So we're going to pause work until so-and-so feels comfortable with, you know, where things are going. And we never got, it never came back. What would you have done differently? I think slowed my role a little bit about what they needed to do. <coughs> Excuse me. Sounds counterintuitive at the time, I'm sure. Yeah. Like you think this big company, you want to lay everything out there. Um, it's a lesson that I've learned that I still um, hearken back to. So when we have clients who want to be on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, TikTok, a lot of times what I'll say is, let's pick two or three channels to start. Let's get really good at those, get in a cadence, make sure those are working properly, and then layer in the next ones. It's good for us. It's also good for not overwhelming the client. Um, so that to me, like, the, the two big lessons from Sears were, A, bill in advance. Um, so you're getting paid and you know you're going to get paid. Uh, and B, really like listen to what the client's needs are. Not just the brand itself, but the person you're talking to and working with. And make sure that you are cultivating a relationship there and helping that person feel supported and the hero. Where do you think most people, if so, get that part wrong? Or where did you get it wrong? Um, sometimes even with you know our newer community managers, we have to really help them to understand client communications. I think we all, that's the soft skill that's so difficult to train up on. Um, is it's, it's not necessarily just listening to, or just not, not necessarily just answer the question that's being asked, but figuring out what the deeper need is there. So when someone asks for numbers around something, it's not so much necessarily always that they need those numbers. It's that they're being held accountable and they need justification or you know an understanding of what's, what's happening on the ground. And so um, stepping back, asking more questions, really listening, and listening just as much to um, what's needed for the company as to what your, that person, your direct contact. And what's going to motivate that person? What's going to help that person? Um, I always say we want to make that person look like a hero. Like we know that if we can help our direct contact feel supported, feel strengthened by the work we're doing, um, feel like he or she is looking good to his or her superiors, and really building um, a strong personal relationship there where they feel like we're providing real value, then that's what becomes. It makes it much harder for them to 
to let us go, but also it makes the working environment so much better between us and helps us be helps us help them be successful. This might not be the best uh, example of that, but I do a lot of sequence writing, like writing the copyright for for an email sequence for sales. And I think when I started that, I would always be in the view of the writer, right? Like, this is what I want to portray. Um, this is what I'm trying to get. And, and oftentimes, I get a little salesy. And, and what I learned is that you really need to adapt and actually write it as the reader. Yeah. Um, and I think there's a lot more punch to that. And I think you're kind of saying something similar where, you know, when you're talking to a client, there's all these things that I want to tell them and I want to say, but at the end of the day, it's like I should actually be more listening and then adapting what I do based on that. So I don't know if that's a good example. No, it's great. I mean, it's know your audience, right? Every writer knows that, and especially a copywriter knows that you need to know who your target audiences are and what their pain points are and what their what what you can solution you can provide to them is the really important thing, right? And so Knowing that not just on the marketing side, but also on the interpersonal side allows you, I mean, even as a coworker, right? Understanding what your other coworkers need and how to communicate with them in the way that resonates for them is really, really important. Well, and to add to that, and actually to even transition to the next topic, you know, you mentioned soft skills. Um, So I guess the question I want to ask there is, you know, how do you, do you have any best practices for interviewing? Is there a way that you're looking for soft skills? Have you had any mistakes, successes? Can you kind of just elaborate on, on how you identify those in an interview process? Yeah, it's hard to identify in an interview process. I mean, part of it is just, that's why you interview, right? Is to get an idea of their communication style, what the chemistry is like, how they talk and how they engage. Not every Team member has to be client focused or clients uh, forward, although we want to give them some basics and help them be part of that conversation because a client wants to know who's doing writing their content. Um, some people are more charismatic than others, you know, and so kind of helping them uh, answer what they need to answer and giving them um, the guidance to get better at that is probably one of the hardest processes in the training side of what we do. But I will say it, the other thing I think is the mistakes that they've made a lot of times come from us not being clear to them what to say and what not to say. And to say, you know what, if they ask this, let me handle that. And what happened was um, we once lost a client. The weirdest thing, like in the first discovery meeting after the statement of work had been signed, because the community manager who was pretty new to the game said, well, I've never worked with this kind of brand before, but I'm excited to do that. And I was like, I like the honesty, um, but also that makes us feel, or it makes that, it gave that person the idea that we were half-assing, right? And in no matter, even, and I couldn't, even as much as I could say to them, look, it's, this is the content writer, the community manager who's supported by this entire team who does have experience here. Like this is how, this is just part of the process. And that's one person in a larger piece of the puzzle. That thing turned off the client and they said, we're not going to do this. I'm not comfortable with this person. Um, And it was more a mistake I probably made in some ways by saying, hey, if they ask about your experience, you don't have to be, I would never ask you to lie because we don't lie to our clients, but you can just be like, you know, you've worked with consumer brands in the past or just kind of give people an idea of how to make it so that they're not 
our, our job, especially in those early meetings, is to set our clients at ease and not add additional worries to what they're doing. I think it's also, you know, it's obviously impossible to foresee everything that a client can potentially say and then train the the employees on that. Um, so I think a lot of it is, is just a natural learning experience and yeah. hopefully not getting too upset at that time and, and turning it into not a, an aggression moment, but a, a learning moment. So yeah. Um, well, and just saying, yeah, for sure. It's for me, it's we're the experts, right? So we need to come across as confident and competent. And that means if you don't know the answer to something, that's okay. It's okay to say, um, I'm not 100% sure on that. Let me get back to the team and let's, you know, we'll provide you some more guidance rather than saying, I don't know. I have learned, uh, this was one of my best sales tactics or, or lessons is it is okay to say, I'm not sure. I want to go back to, uh, let me go back to the team. It doesn't matter what question it is. That is like, I, I guess I shouldn't say it that much, but it is almost always acceptable to say, I'm not sure. And it doesn't show, like, it doesn't show a lack of knowledge on anything. It's just like, hey, I want to get you the, the right answer and the full answer. Can I get back to you on that? So one of the best lessons I've ever learned. Um, real quick, back to like hiring and, and everything like that. Uh, do you have any stories on like a bad hire and any lessons you learned? Um, I think... Well, you know, bad hire is, it's less about the other person and more about us not doing our due diligence. Um, mm -hmm. There are definitely people who we thought were qualified and then came in and weren't. And that's always, that's a tough one. We, um, there are two things we do to kind of help uh, alleviate that a little bit. Although we did have one that went sideways this last year that I'm still kind of flummoxed about. Um, the first thing we do is, um, we pay for audition assignments. So once we have someone who's gone through that first interview, um, their resume looks good, they seem qualified for the role, we will provide them an assignment, an audition, and pay them to, to complete it. We don't want to do spec work. We're not asking people to work for free. So that first assignment gives us a chance to see, are they legitimately good writers? Do they understand social media? Um, can they you know, is what they wrote, did they follow directions? So giving us a basic idea of if they're qualified. And then we hire all of our um, initial hires on this at first. So we call it an up to 90 day contract, which means that um, we give them a chance to kind of learn and grow and um, get into the cadence of the writing and the job assignment and all the processes. And um, we know pretty quickly if they're going to be a good fit and they know pretty quickly if it's going to work for them. Um, and once we get to 60 to 90 days, it usually doesn't even take that long. We realize that if it's going to be someone who we want to stay, keep on the team, um, then we can offer them a role and offer them a job an ongoing job, if it's not really fitting, or if they want to stick to part time, or they're happy in as a contractor position, we can do that as well. Last year, we hired someone contractor position, we were kind of deep in the weeds, we'd waited a little too long, start looking for help. And that person came on, started off pretty strong. But very quickly, he wasn't hitting his deadlines. And we kept saying, Hey, we really need you to you know, get this done on time and be like, oh, okay. And then he would like, if a project was due on a Thursday, on Friday morning, he'd say, hey, I'm not going to get it done. So someone else will have to do it. And we're like, this is, there is no one else. This is your job. Um, 
And it was a really tough, like I'm writing, I'm suddenly writing, you know, a week's worth of content for a client because the community manager who's supposed to write it just decided he didn't want to get it done. And looking back, there were some red flags pretty early on that we probably should have noticed. Can, what were they? Uh, yeah. Well, first he wasn't, if he was on, well, part of it is we're not even sure looking back if he was a, um, legitimately doing the work or if he was paying someone else to do it just in the way that, uh, his email communications were very different from his writing. Um, he also, the, probably the biggest red flag was after that first week of warning, hey, you got to get this stuff done on time, he just wasn't working the hours that we needed him to work. And we were trying to give him more training and more substance. We thought maybe he doesn't understand the assignment. But what we were also, there was just kind of a weirdness in the air. Mm. And we all picked it up, but we ignored it. And we probably should have. There's, you know, you get a gut feeling for how people are going to work out and knew very quickly something was off, but we didn't so busy and we just needed help. Trust the gut. Trust the I gut. Think. Yeah. Um, I was going to, I was going to change gears a little bit and actually ask you about data and reporting and, and things like, what do you, what are the changes that you've seen over the past few years? But for some reason I got, uh, pinged on, on a different thing, rather than looking past and seeing what has changed over the past few years, what do you think is going to change in the future? And the reason I'm actually asking that, and if this turns out to go nowhere, uh, whatever, I'll, I'll go to the next question, but the, the new AI tools that are just blowing up right now, uh, the chat, I think it's called GPT, a few other ones. Do you have any thoughts on how you think that's going to impact and, and the marketing industry as a well? whole? Yeah. Um... I've been thinking about it a lot because people keep asking me. I can tell you <laughs> five, 10 years ago, people would say, you're paying these writers to write, you know, four Facebook posts and three Instagram posts and five LinkedIn posts and 20 tweets a week. And um, you could farm that out to India. You could farm that out to uh, a, a um, content farm to have them write those posts for you. And you don't need the staff size. You don't need um the headache of having all those employees you know the deadlines are going to be hit and my response has always been we uh differentiate ourselves on the quality of our writing we hire writers first and they're really really good at what they do we get them even better through our own internal content review process and from the most part our clients the first thing they notice is the quality of the content um and i think that has become, I honestly, Josh, sometimes I realize that maybe some of our clients don't care as, about it as much as we do. And certainly as a former newspaper guy and as a writer myself, I have much higher standards than probably a lot of others out there. Um, but it really does set us apart because the writing is just so good, so on point. It gets better and better because we are working with the clients. I always call it a steep learning curve at first. We asked for open and direct feedback on the content that we're sending for approval. We have a managing editor in-house who's looking at every piece of content that goes out. And I still look at it a lot of it because of the standards I have. Um, but not until recently has there been this possibility of AI doing it, maybe not just as well, but almost as well, or you know, doing the heavy lifting 
to a point where all we have to do is edit, have that happen. Um, I think they're real quick. I think there's still inputs, right? Like you still need to, you still need to be high quality in your inputs in these things. And then, you know, maybe it does the heavy lifting. And then, and then, like you said, you do the editing. I find it interesting because, and this is a conversation I have with a few people that it's, if you want it to be, it can be a company in a box. Like it can be you, I mean, you nailed it with all the services that this thing can pretty much provide on time. Uh, The quality really does depend on the questions that you're asking. So I think it's, I think it's interesting. We didn't have to spend too much time in this, but um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, I wonder if marketing agencies will have a badge that says like, we don't use this first, we do use this. And, and if customers care and if customers navigate toward or gravitate towards one or side or the other. So it's going to be cheaper to work, you know, in other ways, but I think, at least for us, that's our differentiators where you have real people who get to know you and your brand and learn from you and get better and better at it. And also are paying attention to what's resonating with your audiences and what's um, what kind of language is working best and honing it and crafting it. And so um, it might, I might also be super old fashioned again, coming from the print world that I think quality of writing makes a difference. So I'm going to, you know, stick to being more expensive, but also higher quality. Uh, no, I, I agree. It's, I'm, I'm incredibly curious, uh, how this will move forward in, in all of it, everything. Um, so coming up towards the end, uh, I just want to kind of ask you a couple more questions. If you had to teach something to other marketers, what would it be? Um, to other marketers, it would probably be the, it's always about target audiences and business goals, right? Like learning who your client wants to reach and what they want those people to do, really crafting your overall plan and your content and everything you do match those goals. So much of what people, what other social media agencies or even digital agencies who dabble in social do is they talk about building awareness or just having a presence on social because it's important, which it is. But if you're not crafting every bit of work to do um, what's, you know, to tied back to goals and tied back to specific outcomes and specific audiences, then you're just kind of checking off a box. You're not really doing something that's going to make a difference. And even honestly, like it makes us look our jobs harder when other social media agencies aren't focused on that. And we've had plenty of new clients or potential clients say, well, we tried social and it didn't work for us. And it's because they worked with an agency that wasn't really paying attention. So that's probably the biggest thing. I think, I think that goes back to uh, going, you know, listening more than speaking, right? Like people have these templates in their head and they want to like implement them. Um, and I think sometimes they miss the mark there cause they're just not listening enough. And, and even when they are listening, it's kind of just going in one out one ear at the other. So, um, last question is really just any books, podcasts, resources, uh, tools that you have doesn't have to be marketing. Doesn't have to be business, just anything in general. Um, we, I just did a, a quick, um, office hour with social media pulse Academy from Agora pulse. Um, it's a really great resource. And we were just talking about time tracking and time management. Um, we live by the Harvest app, which allows us to track time by task. And it's given us so much information. We've been using it for more than a dozen years. So we have, you know, 
a decade plus worth of um, data to look at to see how long things should take and how long they've taken historically. Uh, it's really helped us both help our um, internal teams understand how much time they have to work on certain projects. Um, it's helped me on the pricing side to see um, more realistically how much time things take so that I'm not sort of just guessing what it's going to take and, and putting some pricing together. Um, and it just helps us keep everybody accountable. Uh, on the so on the resource side, Social Media Pulse Academy, it's growing. It's a it's a it's being handled by a really strong company. Their community management is superb. So I'm really excited to see what they'll do there. I'm also on their advisory board for their assessment side of things, which um, is a really cool thing. Uh, on the you know like we're just constantly reading what's coming, you know, what's out there on what's coming next in social. We're paying attention. We have our ear to the ground on um, just conversations taking place. Our ad strategist is really good at at seeing what's happening on the ad side, on the paid side, on, on the different channels. Um, honestly, my resources are more, the things I love are Wired Magazine and The Atlantic Monthly, two sides of the same coin. Uh, just giving me a more holistic understanding of what's going on in the world. Um, but, you know, we used to, I used to think, Matt, look at Mashable as a Bible, Bible for social media and tech. But um, yeah, that's an interesting question. I haven't, hadn't really thought much about what were you. That was great. Yeah, no, that was, that was great. And uh, last thing is, as we come to the end of the episode, I just want to give you an opportunity to mention, you know, how people can find you and anything else that you'd like to end with. Sure. Um, so the company is Wide Focus Social Media. Our URL is widefoc.us. And we work with both B2B and B2C companies around the country. So a lot of B2B tech and SaaS. And those are, that's a, um, it's tough to find social media agencies who really get that. But our B2C practice is really strong as well. Um, I have a blog about my favorite dishes and drinks in Denver. It's called, it's denverlicious.com. And my Instagram is all about food. And we have a really strong social presence on our own. We're continuing to see ourselves as clients. So we want to get to, if you search up wide, search wide focus social media in any of our, um, any of the social channels, you should find us. Although I will say we are paused on Twitter because we are waiting to see how things are going to play out there. And we don't want to play in that sandbox while things are so toxic right now. Uh, well, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, and I hope everyone has a great day. Thanks so much, Josh. Thanks for listening to the Masters in Marketing Agency podcast. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I just want to thank our sponsors, DevNoodle. DevNoodle provides marketing agencies with the ability to offer their clients unlimited website design, build, and management services with fixed monthly plans. If website design, development, and maintenance is holding your agency back from growing, please reach out to us at devnoodle.com where we make websites easy, easy for you and easy for your clients, devnoodle.com.